Let me show you how to be a good patient Change your predictions after taking information And if you're thinking I'd be less than amazing Let's adjust those expectations What? Nah, you're right I'm not as good as Baba Brinkman Actually, the best to perform good Bayesian live on the podcast would just be to invite him for an episode, right? Wait, isn't that what I did? Well, indeed, for this episode, I had the great pleasure of hosting rap artist, science communicator, and revered author of Good Bayesian, Baba Brinkman. We talked about his passion for oral poetry, his rap career, what being a good rapper means, and the difficulties he encounters to establish himself as a proper rapper. Baba began his rap career in 1998, freestyling and writing songs in his hometown of Vancouver, Canada. In 2000, he started adapting Chaucer's Canterbury Tales into original rap compositions. And in 2004, he premiered a one-man show based on his master thesis, The Rap Canterbury Tales, exploring parallels. In 2000, he started adapting Chaucer's Canterbury Tales into original rap compositions. And in 2004, he premiered a one-man show based on his master series, The Rap Canterbury Tales, exploring parallels between hip-hop music and medieval poetry. Over the years, Baba went on to create rap guides dedicated to scientific topics like evolution, consciousness, medicine, religion, and climate change. And I encourage you to give them all a listen. By the way, do you know the common point between rap and evolutionary biology? Well, you'll have to tune in for the answer. And make sure you listen until the end. Baba has a very, very nice surprise for you. A little tip, if you want to enjoy it to the fullest, I put the unedited video version of this interview in the show notes. By the way, let me know if you like these video live streams. Uh, I might just do them again if you do. This is Learning Bayesian Statistics, episode 38, recorded March 26, 2021. Welcome to Learning Bayesian Statistics, a fortnightly podcast on Bayesian inference, the methods, the projects, and the people who make it possible. I'm your host, Alex Andorra. You can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Andorra, like the country, and reach a true Bayesian state of mind by visiting learnbayesstats.com. That's learnbayesstats.com. Do you want to support the podcast and unlock exclusive Bayesian swag at the same time? Then you can visit my Patreon page at patreon.com slash learnbayesstats. Starting at 3 euros, you can get various benefits like the private MBS Slack channel, early access to special episodes, selecting questions for episodes, or even coming on the show. You'll get more details at patreon.com slash learnbayesstats. Thanks a lot, folks. I'm very grateful for any support you can bring. Let me show you how to be a good Bayesian and change your predictions after taking information in. And if you're thinking I'll be less than amazing, let's adjust those expectations. What's a Bayesian? It's someone who cares about evidence and doesn't jump to assumptions based on intuitions and prejudice. A Bayesian makes predictions on the best available info and adjusts the probability because every belief is provisional. And when I kick a flow, mostly I'm watching eyes widen, maybe because my likeness lowers expectations of tight rhyming how would i know unless i'm rhyming in front of a bunch of blind men dropping placebo controlled science like i'm richard Feynman. hello my favorite patients i'm proud to say that this episode of the learning patient statistics podcast is brought to you by tidelift tidelift is making open source work better for everyone users 
companies and car developers. Make sure to listen to their dedicated segment during the show to discover how they help open source software. And by the way, if your company wants to support this podcast, raise its brand awareness, or put its job ads in front of the right people, just get in touch with me and we'll see what we can do together. A bit of news before listening to the episode. First, I put Baba's Kickstarter campaign in the show notes for those who want to support his new company called Even Trap. You'll hear more about it in the episode. Second, I just released the second matchmaking dinner featuring Dimitri Pananos and Ravin Kumar. Our conversation spanned multiple topics, including how to improve stats education, what is it like to be a young academic these days, how to become better at practical implementation when coming from a theoretical background, and vice versa. And mostly, we had a lot of fun recording this episode. I hope that shows. Note that this new format is released exclusively for patrons of the show, so make sure to check out patreon.com slash stats if you want to listen. I'll take this opportunity to thank you, patrons, for your continued support. Thanks a lot for being so awesome. In particular, I'd like to thank my brand new supporters, especially those in the full poster tier or higher, Marcin Elenkowski and Tim Ratke. And now, let's wrap with Rabbi Brinkman. Thank you very much for tuning in. And I don't know if I need to introduce you, but I will nonetheless. Let's welcome Baba Brinkman to the show. Baba Brinkman, welcome to Learning Bayesian Statistics. I'm very happy to be here. I've been following your journey since day one, and it's great to finally be able to connect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm very glad we managed to do that. In the end, we had to all go into quarantine, but we did it. And that's great. This past year has been a good application use case for Bayesian statistics. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the priors and predictions around public health interventions and what their outcomes will be. This is why we care, right? Because it matters. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's dive. First, I want to thank people who are Tuning in, this is Autumn. This is the first time Learn Based Stat is going live and really is an experiment. So we'll see. Please comment on YouTube to tell us if you have any troubles or any questions, most importantly. And also, very probably at the end, we'll do something freestyle with Baba. So if you have some topics that you think it would be interesting that he raps about live in front of you, well, think about them and throw them in the comments at the end of the show. And yeah, I want to thank also Oriol Abril and Tyler Birch uh, personally, because they helped me set all that technical thing together. This is just so fun to host the author of the podcast <laughs> theme song. And uh, thank you for tuning in. I think this is the closest to social interactions we have right now. And so, Baba, let's start. Let's dive in. Let's start by your background, actually, because... I love it. You studied comparative literature and oral poetry, right? So first, how come? What's your story? I was a poetry nerd in high school. Literature was my favorite subject, and I was immersed in the romantics and the Renaissance poets. And I was also a rap fan. I didn't really think of them as related. You know, I was like, I read poetry and I respond to it really positively. And I listen to rap all day, but I just thought of them as different genres. And then when I was in college, I had this aha moment where I was like, you know, actually rap today is kind of what Shakespeare was for his day. 
they're the sort of rhymed lyrical storytellers. And that was when I was around 18 or 19. And that was the point at which I was like, well, if that's the case, maybe I could rap too. Maybe I could be the hyper literate, like bookworm rapper. There's not really a niche for that in hip hop yet, but who knows? People might respond well to it. So I started writing rhymes and they were all based on anything I learned as part of my college degree or as my part of my reading habits that I thought people would want to know about. And then I went deeper into literature from that perspective. I was kind of all in on rap by midway through my undergraduate degree. But then I was like, am I ready to just pursue a rap career yet when I've only been doing this for a couple of years? So I decided to go and go ahead and get a master's. And my rationale at the time was if I'm going to be a rhymed storyteller in the rap genre, and if I want people to understand how rap fits into the oral traditions of the world, including English literary ones, but also, of course, Africa and where the original roots of hip hop culture came from and everywhere around the world has oral storytelling traditions. I thought, well, I could do a master's and unpack that and, and sort of study the history of rhyme storytelling across comparative literature and oral traditions and help people understand how hip hop fits into that as a contemporary phenomenon. So I may be the only person who went and got a master's degree just to be better informed on the connections with hip hop and literature, but that's really what I did. And then after I finished my master's, then I went, I went in all in on rap at that point couple years later. Yeah, this is awesome. I really love how... So basically, like, yeah, you were into rap and music from the beginning, right? This was really something you almost knew at the moment that you wanted to make a living out of that. Well, I wouldn't quite say that, actually. I went for many years as a fan of rap, but not a participant. Oh, so okay. you'd say, like, age 10 until 18. Like, my whole teen years, I went to rap concerts, I listened to rap songs, I watched rap music videos, I bought every CD, but I was like, I'm a consumer of this culture and I'm an appreciator of this culture, but I'm not a participant in this culture. Even though I'd go to the rap shows and throw my hands up, I was like, I'm a suburban white boy from Canada. I have a middle-class background. Rap is people like me who try to do rap, never do it well. So I'm not going to even try. And then it was only in my late teens when I was like, there might be another way to do it that would make sense for someone like me. And that's when I made that literature connection. And that was the point at which I was like, well, maybe I could actually contribute to hip hop culture and not just be an appropriator if I do it completely differently and make people realize, like broaden their horizons of what rap can do and what it is. And so that's sort of, you know, once I rationalized that mode of participation as this is my 18 year old brain being like, how can I get into rap without being a total poser? If I do it so differently that everyone's like, huh? And then they're like, oh, actually, that's pretty cool. Then I can claim to have actually staked out new territory. And that's sort of, you know, that <laughs> I'm 42 now. And that was like 23 years ago. And I've never had a different plan since that moment. I've just been doing different variations on quality hip hop about topics you would never expect hip hop to cover. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. And so, as you said, at least when you started, you weren't the typical person to go into rap and to try to become a professional rapper. So I'm curious, did you expect some pushback or mainly indifference from people? Like, how were their starts? Well, 
you know, skeptical, let's say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I walk down the street, people are not like, there goes a rapper. You know, I don't yeah. really like come across as a rapper in all of my demeanor and manifestations and inflections and everything. For me, it was more like I'm absolutely all in on the craft of hip hop and aspects of my personality are hip hop and other aspects less so. And I got to kind of prove it every time. So, and I kind of knew that from the beginning as well. Yeah. Like everyone's going to not think I'll be good. And I need to show them I'm good again and again and again. And that's totally fine. That's just going to be part of the process. And I wasn't good when I started. I was a good writer, but I was not a good performer. So at the beginning, I was like, I'm studying William Blake and John Skelton and Jeffrey Chaucer and Samuel Taylor Coleridge. And I'm like, okay, that's their technique. Now this is Jay-Z's technique and this is Notorious B.I.G.'s technique and this is Nas's technique. And I'm like analyzing all the rhyme patterns and the rhythm and the syncopation and the structure. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to create my own technique. And it's like a hybrid of all of them. And learning how to write lyrics that I liked the way they flowed was the first step. Being able to perform them in a way that wasn't awkward was a whole nother learning process. I kind of started thinking like, it's a verse form. I'll learn the verse and assuming it would be 80% composition and 20% performance. And it's further than the opposite. (laughs) However awkwardly the lyrics are written, if they're performed the right way, people are going to respond and the writing is important, but it's secondary to the experience of how people react to you like charismatically and intuitively and viscerally. And that took me years and years and years to learn. Okay. Yeah. That was going to be my follow up question. Like, but how do you know, or how do you define a good rapper? Like what did it mean to you? And what does it mean to you today to say, okay, now I know I can rap. I know I'm a rapper and I can completely accept that some people maybe don't see me as one, but I (laughs) know I am one. I hope the audience is appreciating how deeply the conversation relates to the Bayesian model for a prediction about the world, because this is what it's all about, isn't it? And when I learned Bayesian mathematics, or at least the sort of logical framing of how it works, I was like, that's what I've been doing the whole time. I was a teenager and I was like, what's the probability of me being able to be a rapper? Yeah. And what's the probability assessment in the mind of every audience member that sees me get on stage low? (laughs) And then my job is to adjust their priors and their expectations so that the beginning low expectation of talent when they first see me, which is a kind of prejudice, really, because it's identity based, then gets adjusted until by the time they're a couple minutes into the performance, they're like, holy crap, this is awesome. Now I expect the rest of it to be awesome, too. So, you know, there was a process where I thought I sounded good enough in private. Like I was like, this stuff holds up. These are good lyrics and I can flow them. And I was like, I expect people to react positively to this, but no one had heard it yet. And then also like trial and error, right? Do the show, watch the crowd, see how they're responding, figure out like what parts they really responded well to and less go back and be like, okay, let's adjust my process to get more of the good and less of the board. And I kind of did take like a scientific hypothesis and testing. Actually, one of my songs from my evolution show is called Performance Feedback Revision. And I use that as an analogy for how evolution works, where like an organism's phenotype is its performance 
of its genes, which are the script, and the revision takes place in the success or failure in an adaptive evolutionary framework, and the revision is how the genome changes over time as natural selection does its work, which is really analogous to like how you learn to be a better performer, right? You like die in front of an audience, and that's natural selection doing its thing, and then you resurrect the performance as a sort of offspring of the original one, but with slight mutations until you don't die in front of the audience anymore. And suddenly you're thriving in front of the audience and the audience is like, I'm going to tell everyone how good this is. And that's the proliferation of your memes via a trial and error analogous evolutionary process. So I have had several sort of phases of obsession in my life. For a while, it was literature and literary history and how hip hop ties in. Evolutionary theory was next. And then with the consciousness project, the probabilistic Bayesian framing for everything from science to even just perception and active inference as a way the brain works really engrossed me. And so that's a long scientific answer to a short biographical question. Yeah, I love that. And that's actually quite striking to me how, because I, I used in the world before where we could go outside and meet people, I used to do some theater. And so it's funny because what you say is very similar actually to how you know that your show is working or not. And it's how basically how the audience react. And what you're saying actually looks a lot like the process of how people doing stand up, you know, like test their shows and jokes and so on. But I really didn't know that this was a thing in rap. Yeah, and it really is almost core to to hip-hop and the ethics of hip-hop culture because some art forms are more rarefied and elite. They're like, the Juilliard entry exam will tell whether you're good or not. And if the common people don't understand what you're doing, ballet dancer or opera singer or abstract expressionist, then they are merely unsophisticated, but we recognize the quality. That's one kind of art. But that's not hip hop. Hip hop, you move the crowd. So you ask me, like, how do you know who's a good rapper? I watch people react to the way they rap. (laughs) If they sell millions of records, they've got something. But that might be the product of marketing machines in the sort of MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice mode. But it's something about a live show and just getting people off the chain in the crowd. That's the thing that I always responded to the most in hip hop. And really, like a lot of rappers talk about that. They're like, MC means move the crowd or like forget what you've done if you've got skills reveal it and there's this whole messaging in hip-hop culture because a lot of them came up through freestyle battling and ciphers and sort of street level performance and it's like no credentialism here who cares what you achieve yeah get on the stage and show what you can do in this moment with this crowd and that's all that matters and I always really respected that and loved the sort of the democratization of it you know it's, it's about the people and it should be and so that's partly why i've resonated with the canterbury tales as well because chaucer has this thing where the audience of pilgrims decide what's a good story in the canterbury tales and some of the high class sort of more respectable pilgrims don't do good stories and the lower class ones sometimes kill it and that's the story of hip-hop right it's like the come up people that are not expected to make it suddenly achieve fame and fortune through their talents and their ingenuity oh yeah that's really fascinating i love that and for listeners here well you didn't have the introduction that will be in the podcast version of these recording but yeah basically what baba is talking about chaucer's canterbury tales it's like it was one of your 
first, I'd say maybe not composition, but it's something you really developed. Like, I think it was your master thesis, right? That you then adapted to rap composition, right? That's right. Yeah. And on my first record, I had one of the songs was based on Chaucer's Pardoner's Tale. And so it was around that time that I was really like rewriting the Canterbury Tales into rap as a project. That was my first sort of major breakout project was the rap Canterbury Tales. And the first thing where I was like, I can do something different and I can make a living doing this. Like people will buy a ticket to see a rap version of the Canterbury Tales and I don't need another job. I just need to tour around the world and turn people onto medieval literature and entertain them. And I was like, this is the best job ever. It's all I want to do. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And actually, how did you then, because you said also rap is based, based on techniques. Like I can guess that, I mean, I've never rapped, but I think it would be- It's not too late. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> not now. Uh, it would be pretty lame. But you said that this is based on techniques and so on. So I'm wondering how did you then go out and learn that because I don't think there is a master that you can get from rap techniques. So how did you go about that? Yeah, that's right. It's one of the great art forms that can't be taught. And yeah, <laughs> you know, I was already writing poetry. Like I was a poet all through high school and I was make, composing like sonnets and villanelles and free verse. And so it was a shortly when I made that whole like rap is poetry connection. I was like, okay, this is the next form. I've already written a lot of sonnets. I'm going to try writing 16 bar verses of, of hip hop with multi-syllable rhyme scheme. So that's what I meant when I said I sort of started with the writing challenge. And the performing side, that was the hard part. And I just got some instrumentals. Sometimes they sell a single on vinyl or on a CD and the instrumental will be on the B side. So I found a bunch of those in record stores, even on CD, and it's all I played. So then I'd be like driving around and if I was in my car, all that would be playing would be hip hop beats and I'd just be freestyling all day or just be like, you know, as I drive, I see a man on the side of me. This is Baba Brinkman. I'm trying to learn how to ride the beat. Yeah, that's right. I'm just trying to rock right. Oh, I better stop my car right now there's a stoplight yeah that's it i'm rapping like i'm jay-z and this guy in the car next to me is looking like i'm crazy because i'm talking to myself but i don't care because i'm straight rapping one of these days i'm 18 but i'm really gonna make it happen and you know what it, like i was the crazy guy in his car just jabbering <laughs> away and everywhere i went but I really did it in private for a long time. You know, I didn't really want to hear, I didn't want anyone to hear me rapping until I knew I was going to be good enough. And yeah, that's it. And then it was about five years from the first time I kicked a rap until, not till I performed, but until I started recording tracks in the studio and like said, I'm going to fully bust out with this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But that makes sense. So it inspires me to follow questions, but the first one would be, yeah, I can really see that there is clearly an element like in stand up, and I love the, the comparison you made with evolution, biological evolution with rap and stand-up performances, actually, because you come on the scene and on the stage and you can die <laughs> in front of the of the audience. And there is really an element of building up your self-esteem to a good level, but not too high to still be able to progress, but <laughs> a good self-esteem so that you are able to go in front of people. And even if you die on the stage, you die on the stage. You don't die, period. Like, you know that it's just on the stage and that this problem that you had, this bad performance that you had, you can turn that into an opportunity to become a much better rapper. But I can guess that this is a psychological process that you have to go through, right? And that can take time. Yeah, and if you die every time 
after a while you quit <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean yeah. like yeah. dying on stage is only a path to greatness if you're also getting accolades sometimes yeah and you're getting heckled sometimes or booed or people are bored sometimes or walkouts sometimes and you're paying attention to the difference but i feel like the latent talent was there and the passion was there and the dedication was there but the how the technique as you said is that was the thing that really that was uh, a learning curve for me but yeah when people respond well and also i grew up in a very supportive community like i'm from vancouver canada i have dozens and dozens of first cousins and a couple of siblings and lots of friends so when i first came out with rap i was like you guys want to hear this and it was everybody was my friend and they would be like wow that's really cool you know you should keep doing that yeah don't quit your day job <laughs> but they you know they were an indulgent audience and that gave me the space to grow and you know hey I got another one. Can I try it on you guys at family gathering or community talent show down the road or whatever? And really, that is actually a very hip hop process as well, right? First, you impress your friends, then you impress your block, then you impress your city, and then you impress the world. And if you can't impress the first levels, you're probably not going to get to the last one. So, but you know, some blocks are harder than others. Yeah. And I didn't have people like ragging on me the first few times. So, in a way, I was kind of sheltered. When you're sheltered, at the start of any kind of arts career, you'll find out quick once you go into the wild, whether you were too sheltered and not well prepared or whether you actually got your confidence built up to the right level yeah. to be able to impress strangers. And that was, there was some friction in there. Like I did a, a festival in Canada in 2003 and I sold out my whole run. All the seats were full, big standing ovations, applause. So I was like, this is the best. I'm killing it. And then I booked myself into some festivals overseas. And then I'd play to like three people and one of them would leave. And I'd be like, oh, this is way harder than I thought it was, you know. But by that point, I had already had a taste and I was I was very sure that this is what I wanted to do. So then it was just come back better, come back better, come back better. Huh, yeah. Yeah, that's actually related to a question we got from Alex Spires, and he's asking basically, I put it on the screen there, and he's asking, how often do you feel that you died in front of the audience? <laughs> I have died a thousand deaths. I've <laughs> <laughs> really been resurrected. Yeah, I mean, like I, I started rapping at sort of 18, maybe 19. So the first five years were rocky, but I kept at it. And good thing there wasn't YouTube and viral video back then, because you would have seen a lot of me sucking at rap shows. <laughs> They're vivid memories for me, you know, like, yeah, yeah, of course. I would love to see a video that someone randomly took, but there were no smartphones either at that time. So as far as I know, there's no video of me completely sucking on stage, but I did. And by the time I was good, I started getting attention and the attention was mostly for the fact that I was good. Actually, there's one somewhere online. I'm not sure if I kept it, but I, I probably have it in some folder somewhere. I did a festival my first year of professional performing and a reviewer came and just totally ripped it apart. He said it was like the stupidest thing he'd ever seen. And it was so awkward. And he actually gave me something he called the Golden Albatross Award for the greatest degradation of the arts oh, that he had seen man. at the entire festival. <laughs> oh, this is awful. So like the thick skin both has to come from getting, from dying on stage and having audiences tune out, but also harsh reviews. And I've had a lot. 
but they thicken your skin. And actually, I just took in my literature when I was going forward to future festivals, I would put like winner of the Golden Albatross Award on my posters because it sounds cool until you think about it. It's like as long as you don't have a literature degree and know about the rhyme of the ancient mariner, then you will actually think an albatross sounds like a, you know, this would be like, like an Oscar or something. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I would not have guessed that could have told me that. And I can put that into the introduction of the show if you want. I should probably. <laughs> but now that makes me think, but then how do you, because you have to get the thick skin, but then how do you filter good negative comments? Like, how do you know that when someone is telling you something that's negative about the performance, this is actually something to remember and to improve your model? basically because it's it's really related to statistical modeling actually like because statistical modeling also has an art element to it you know so it's like you really have to absolutely fail you basically what i often say is that when you're building statistical models or your model will fail except the last one and so you have really this survivor bias in books and blog posts and so on where you only see the last element the model that worked but you don't see all the models before that failed. And so when you're a beginner, you're like super intimidated because you're like, oh, but I can't do that. Like these guys are really magicians. I really, I'm not able to come up and do a model right from the first time. And then also when you have your model ready and you're quite happy with it because you think it's good enough, you also have to be able to listen to negative comments. So to get back to you, how do you, do to not have too thick a skin? That's my question. Yeah, I was raised in a culture that had ego as an enemy. That was always an idea about like, you know, I was like Buddhist and Taoist and oh yeah, Hindu spirituality. A lot of people would go to ashrams and do meditation and stuff. You know, it's all about the ego and how the ego will tell you that you need everyone to like you, but that's actually like an ephemeral path to suffering because really positive and negative feedback can't touch you or neither of them need necessarily shape who you think you are and stuff. So that like that messaging has been with me since before I rapped and I took it into rap with me. So I was like, I'm going to pay attention, but I'm also going to try to think rationally about people's motives. And that's another Bayesian, there's models and models and models, right? You're adjusting your model of how good you are based on the feedback you get, but you also have a probability model of whether the person giving you the feedback has ulterior motives or whether if they're kin, you got to discount when your mom says you're good. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you discount the, the relevance of that statement. And some people clearly just didn't like rap. Yeah. When I get bad feedback from someone that loves rap, it cuts me way deeper and I take it way more seriously than when people just don't like rap and also don't like me because what are you going to do you know that's my chosen genre or you know or some people just they like rap but they don't think white people should do it so okay so what are you going to do like if you don't think there ever could in principle be a white rapper then why would I care what you think of me yeah and so I would try to apply that analysis to each person but I would also take friends constructive feedback seriously and it would always be, all right, okay, I'll try that. That's good feedback. Like, actually, here's a perfect example. When I put out my first rap record, one of my family friends that I grew up with said, let me tell you something. I really like your music, and I think you've got real potential. The songs that you write about falling in love and being frustrated and family dramas and what you think about society, I love all those songs. The songs that you write that are recursive and about your journey as a writer learning to write, I don't need those songs. 
And I really took the, I thought about that for all. I was like, you know, that it really is like, it's like someone who gets up and does a speech, like a TED talk. And they're like, you wouldn't believe how long it took me to write this TED talk. I thought about this version and I thought about that version, but instead I settled on the version you're about to hear. It's like, just delete that from your script. We don't need to know it. That's your journey. That bit of feedback I got in 2005 on the first record I made made me always check my writing to see whether I was being narcissistic and solipsistic about like making the drama that I experienced learning to write, making other people experience it with me. It's kind of like telling people your dreams, you know, like your dreams only matter to you. They're boring to everyone else, but it's really hard to get your head around that because they really matter to you. So yeah, let me tell you this dream I had. And if it's a friend, they'll be like, all right. <laughs> If you want me to listen, I'll listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny. So many topics to unwrap. I have another question from Corey Whitney. It's actually a funny question. Thanks a lot, guys, by the way, for sending your questions. That's really awesome to see you participate. So thanks, Alex. And then thanks, Corey. So he's asking whether there are any frequentist rappers and if you have converted any frequentist through musical hip-hop intervention. <laughs> that's a great question. And... The answer is no, but I hope one pops up. When I was researching the Bayesian track, I came across the animosity between the Bayesians and the frequentists, and I thought of working some lyrics into the song about how frequentists are the dinosaurs of the statistical world or something like that, but I... <laughs> I decided it was it was too rarefied of a yeah. debate to put in lyrics where I was really just trying to break the concept to new people. And not everyone needs to know about the inside baseball, but it would be very funny. <laughs> yeah, but that's actually interesting because when we do, like, for instance, workshop or classes or stuff like that, and we introduce Bayesian statistics to new people, to beginners, we're actually not talking a lot about this whole debate about frequentist and Bayesian. I think I agree with you. It's just the concepts and the philosophy behind the reasoning of Bayesian statistics is what matters most. And that's the most powerful and the most interesting. And that's also the most intuitive. So that way you get like you get people hooked better. And also that's the most important in the end, because you turn to Bayesian statistics because you're attracted by the philosophical underpinnings of it. Yes. Almost more so than anything I've come across. The only other thing I talked about, like my phases of obsession, but like when I learned the details of natural selection and evolutionary theory, I was like, oh my God, I look at the world so differently now. Yeah. The thing you said, survivor bias, like every tree is the descendant of all of its successful ancestors and all the variants that didn't reproduce didn't end up having their trees and it's the same of every organism and you know it just makes you like look at everything in the natural world via the process and it's the same with bayesian statistics when i learned about it i was like everything is prediction all the way down it is very intuitive isn't it because we kind of do like make predictions intuitively constantly about what's going to happen if i do this and what's going to happen if i do that and it's it's just putting a mathematics around something that every person can relate to. One of the things that I really found was fun about that good Bayesian song is that I wrote the chorus and one verse, just verse one. And then I was like, this is big. This is like, I wonder if other rappers would relate to this. So I sent it to some friends and I sent it to um, Lars and Megaran. And I was like, I'm doing a song about Bayesian stats. Like, would you be interested in guesting? And both of them wrote back to me right away. And they're like, yes, I love Bayesian stats. And they both came back, like they came back with these verses where they were relating all the concepts of probability to their experience as rappers. Yeah. 
just the way I had. So when they came back with their rhymes for the track, I was like, I knew it. This is what rappers feel on the inside. They just didn't have quite the right, like, epistemological framing to put around it. And that's what the Bayesian worldview gives you. So that was what made me enthusiastic about putting it on the record. And also, I don't know how much you've gotten into the sort of Bayesian brain hypothesis, the predictive coding model of how perception and experience works. But I thought it was a really interesting, I would almost say like coincidence, but is it a coincidence? You know, like the scientific method works on a way that's perfectly analogous to the way that our unconscious sensory processing occurs. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty sort of deep resonance, isn't it? Like we, we're not seeing anything. We're just taking in binary ones and zero signals of neurons firing and our brain is making a statistical inference on what the probable cause of those particular colors and shapes and light patterns are and then forming an image internally. But it's all a model building process within the brain. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me. Well, first, this is also tied up also with the philosophy you said you were coming from also like i think the buddhism philosophy of that and, and like it, it, i can see really parallels with with that and second is it also the very beginning of good bayesian there is this extract from a conference right or talk and it's talking exactly about that right yes so the person who taught me about Bayesian inference and the Bayesian brain is Professor Anil Seth. He's at the University of Sussex. He has a book coming out soon called Being You. I recommend everyone follow him on Twitter and check out. And the TED Talk is called How Your Brain Hallucinates Your Reality. And so that's a quote from his lecture that he gave. And it is all about that concept. But it was Sean Carroll's book, The Big Picture, that gave me the sort of scientific method version of Bayesian reasoning. So I learned the brain version from one set of research papers and the sort of skepticism and scientific method version from another, but they both touched on consciousness. So I was like, this is going to be the running theme of my consciousness album now. Ah, yeah, okay. Well, thanks. That's great. That's more on my reading list first. And second, I add these two links to the show notes because I'm sure people will be interested. Yeah, and actually, I'd like to go back a bit later about how do you actually write your songs and how do you go about documenting them and so on. But first, I'd like to zoom out and ask you why you are rapping about science topics, actually, because you're, as we said, you're not coming from a science background, right? So you're coming from a poetry and literary background. And yet you're doing an amazing job popularizing scientific topics. I mean, because like I'm talking about Cubation, but there are a lot of other songs that I love in your repertoire. And why are you rapping about scientific topics and methods and what motivated you and what still motivates you? Well, I got into rapping about science via an invitation to do it, basically. A scientist saw the Canterbury Tales show and wrote to me and said, have you ever thought about doing Darwin? Oh. Darwin needs explainers too. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah, that was uh, Dr. Mark Palin. He was at the University of Birmingham at the time, and he was working on a book called The Rough Guide to Evolution. So there's a Rough Guide series. And so he he was the one, he, I mean, he put it to me as like a proposal. He said, I'm working on The Rough Guide to Evolution. You should make The Rap Guide to Evolution as a compliment to my book that explains all of the details of how natural selection works because the general public is confused. And he laid it out sort of so reasonably, like you explain the Canterbury Tales, how about explaining evolutionary theory? And I just loved the idea. And I was already a fan of, I was reading like Jared Diamond and E.O. Wilson and Richard Dawkins, just like 
part of my general interest reading. So I was already an evolution aficionado, but didn't have any education in it really. And so it was a six month crash course learning process of read every popular science book I can get my hands on and write rap songs about the thesis of each book. And then I came to England for the Darwin Bicentennial in 2009. Mark helped me to set up a tour where I was performing at a bunch of venues and it was never done evolution rap before, but it got a really great response. And just kind of cascaded from there. Festivals, and I won an award at a festival for doing it. And really, like the reason I'm here right now, I'm in New York. I've been here for 10 years. I moved here to perform my Rap Guide to Evolution show at an off-Broadway theater. 200 seats, 110 performances in six months, like name and lights off-Broadway, not on-Broadway. That's a theater-sized delineation. But um, yeah, that was all because Mark said, you should rap about the origin of species. And it caught on and became the thing I became known for. And then I just did a whole series of shows. And the Consciousness show and the Good Bayesian one was in the same theater several years later as I turned the rap guides into a series. But it really did just start like, can you do this? I like the idea. It's not something where I would just wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to rap about science. Yeah. You know, it seemed weird to me. Yeah. But it was an invitation. It was like, this is the event. We need entertainment. You're the one to write it. Come ready and I'll pay you and help you connect with lots of other scientists. And I predict Bayesian, they will pay you too. You know, so, and he didn't have that much of a budget. It was like a couple thousand dollars. I'm going to work for six months to write an hour long show for $2,000. I don't think so. But Mark, he laid it out to me. He was like, you know, it's the 200th anniversary of Charles Darwin's birth. It's also the 150th anniversary of the origin of species. If you do a good job with this evolution rap show, I bet you're going to get work all year as people book you to perform at their events. And he was right. I like, I mean, I probably did 50 shows that year, all of them paid gigs on something I had written in the few months prior to the first ever show. And it just became like, there was like four years where I did like a hundred shows a year of just evolution rap. And that really set me up. Yeah, that mark. Like he was quite a visionary there. That's pretty amazing. And I'm glad he did that. <laughs> and we Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, that's really awesome. And actually, let's talk about another thing I wanted to ask you because I, I love the way you do that. Because you're doing something called peer-reviewed rap. So can you tell listeners what it is and how it works? Because I know they will be sensible to that. There are a lot of academics, researchers in my audience. So when they hear peer review, I'm, I'm guessing they are listening even more. Yeah, that comes from the first project again. So when Mark Palin asked me if I could do Darwin themed raps, he put some caveats on it. He said, yeah, we'll put you on at this conference. But a lot of people misunderstand evolutionary biology and specifically natural selection and how it functions. You know, we're not going to We don't want you to come to this conference and rap about how evolution is part of the spiritual trajectory of the universe as we all evolve towards greater compassion. That's a metaphorical use. We're talking about how an organism's genome changes over time. And so he put this challenge to me. He was like, send me your lyrics and I'll make sure there's no scientific inaccuracies in your lyrics so that when you get on stage, We know that you're describing it right. And so then, once again, the peer-reviewed rap thing is Mark's coinage. At the first event, when I he was premiering, he's like, don't worry, I worked with this artist, I fact-checked his lyrics, so you're about to witness the first rap in history that's peer-reviewed. And it got a big laugh because it was mostly scientific colleagues, but I was backstage waiting to come on and start the show. And in my head, I was like, peer-reviewed rap, 
that's awesome. That's my brand now. And then so I like put it on my website and yeah. it became a kind of philosophy. Like it, it does fit with the whole egoless Buddhist worldview because it's like, I'm not here to tell you what I think about things except as a secondary like artistic and technique consideration. I'm here to tell you the scientific consensus on this topic and how the various ways in which you might react to it. And so each project I've done since then that's scientific, I recruit an expert that is a researcher in the field and I make sure they go over my lyrics and say, you know, partially this is self-protective because I don't want to get on stage and sound like an idiot when I don't have a scientific background. So I want to make sure that I'm representing sound science when I communicate it. But also I found it really, it's an enriching process. I've made friends with lots of scientists who had a fun time going back and forth with me, working out the details of how the rap should work. And also it gives me clout because if somebody's like, that's not how it works. I'm like, I right, take it up with the army that's marching right back here, the researchers. And so people will go to bat to defend something I say in a rap song if it's controversial, because I've checked first to be sure that it represents a research consensus, at least among a lot of professionals in an area, although there are still going to be controversies, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. That's why it's called consensus and it's research. So, you know, but I love that so much. And it resonates also so much with issues we've had here in France in the last year, like because it's one of the first time you have research in the making that is live on every show for one year. And so people are confusing a lot, like confusing research and science. Basically, you know, so like research is science in the making, but science is something you know, like you know the earth is round, you know how to make a plane fly, stuff like that, you know. Or at least you believe it with a very high probability. Yeah, if you want, yeah, from the Bayesian <laughs> point of view, exactly. But then it's not because you know something that there aren't any more questions. And then the questions that are left are what's research, what research is about. And so like we had this confusion in France come up every day, basically. And so what you're doing, I think is so amazing because it popularizes the, basically the scientific method and how the scientific sausage is made. So it's really amazing. It's more important than the sausage itself, really. Obviously, the earth goes around the sun and not vice versa. There's some things that will not be overturned. Natural selection is no sort of competing hypothesis for design in nature that I've ever come across that holds any water. But lots of things will fall by the wayside as new evidence comes in, and that's fine. It's part of the process, right? But I, it's defending the method and how it works and making sure people understand that it's an iterative process, a trial and error process. And Exactly. And it's about confidence levels. This is another thing, like I talk differently after becoming a Bayesian. I was like, let me show you how to be a good Bayesian. But I was kind of showing myself how to be a good Bayesian too, because I would previously be like, evolution is a fact. And then after that, I'd be like, evolution is a fact insofar as science allows us to estimate the highest probabilities of what facts we can be sure are true. But like, I've actually found there's a diplomacy benefit to that as well. Because if you're talking to a creationist about evolution and you say evolution's a fact and you're dead wrong, the conversation is pretty much over. Whereas you could say like, based on the preponderance of the evidence from all of evolutionary biology, it seems like the probability of evolution being right is extremely high, but it's not a hundred, you know, it's whatever I would estimate it as 99.99999. But that means there's some possibility that it's not you probably have to get into like, this is a simulation kind of scenarios yeah. to overturn some of the findings of science. But just talking in terms of probability 
brings people into the conversation in a way that certainty does not. Yeah, and also like it a lot because then when you start saying, yeah, but it's novel research is not certain, you can't be like 100% certain and stuff like that. Then people will say, aha, then I can say whatever I want. Like, I mean, I'm just saying that it's a theory, you know, it's like science are only theories. So I have a theory that the earth looks like a potato or like a donut or stuff like that, you know, so I can do that. It's science. Well, actually, no, because then your theory has to be backed by the consensus and by evidence and by facts and stuff like that. So I think the framing also in probabilities is interesting because you can say, yeah, maybe the earth is a potato, but the probability that it is given the evidence that we have is like super small compared to the evidence that it's round and there is 80% water and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I find a useful framing is also like, what predictions would that make? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. If you believe that, then that would predict that going from a spaceship would show you that, oh, but the spaceship stuff's all faked. Okay, well, then it would predict that you would find this instrument responding in this way as you traverse the geographical region. Maybe we could run a test. Like, as soon as you put things in that kind of a framework of how do you know that and what predictions does it make, you're on much more solid footing with the scientific method. Yeah. Because usually those tests have been done and people just don't know about it, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And also another thing I like to ask people is just instead of debating on the facts, actually, as you said, because you see that as a fact, but the other person doesn't see that as a fact, actually. So instead of that, you're discussing about their priors, actually, asking them about why they came to develop what they think and then often what i ask is but then what would make you change your mind what would it take to make you change your opinion and so basically you're asking them about the prior and if they have a prior that is like super extreme like for instance i believe that you baba you can't be a good rapper because you don't have the right social economic background so i have a prior that is super extreme so whatever you can do don't worry it's very common yeah but exactly but <laughs> so that means that whatever you do you can't move my prior so in that case you know you can either discuss on the prior was this person believing that like how did she can come to develop that belief or you stop discussing and you go get a coffee or something like that you know yeah well with anti-evolution beliefs the prior is caused by decades of religious indoctrination. Yeah. So the why is not, ba you know, it's based on, and also a lot of anti-science stuff just comes from the generalized trust your intuition and trust your gut messaging. That's all through culture. That's like, if you believe it, it must be true and look inside for the answers and all that stuff. Like there's a real reframing that's needed to question your intuitions as the default instead of believing your intuitions as the default. Because frankly, like the sun looks like it's moving, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like the easiest analogy for like why you can't just trust your perceptions without a gut check. Yeah, definitely. And just a spoiler, but I have uh, Chun Peng Lao who already gave me some of topics for your freestyle rap at the end. So... That's very nice. And actually, I remind people yeah, that you can think of some topics to throw to Baba for his rap-free, rap-freestyle at the end of the show. You just write them in the comments and then we'll, he'll go from there. Yeah, and so I love these topics so much. And actually, something I'm wondering now is, do you have sometimes a proof of the efficiency 
of what you're doing. Like, this is provocative, but like, because you're doing that also to popularize the scientific method, the scientific topics and so on, and scientific consensus. And so did you already have people coming to you and telling you, oh, that was so enlightening to me, like your rap guide to evolution, for instance, and I went into reading some Darwin stuff and so on, and now I'm, I love that and I see that more clearly. So did that happen to you? Yes, I have created apostasy with the rap guide <laughs> to evolution. Absolutely. Awesome. I just, I only know it from YouTube comments or some people have told me in person anecdotally as well. But if you look at my rap guide to evolution music videos on YouTube and read the comments, you will see people saying, I used to believe in creationism. I listened to this album. I read a bunch of the books that you did and now an evolutionist to the core. And that's satisfying to find people saying that for sure. It's You never know when you're making something whether you're going to change any minds with it. You know, My baseline is just to entertain people. Like I hope it gets out there and changes people's minds, but it, I'm trying to fill an unfilled niche, like highly scientifically literate entertainment, like fun for nerds. The fun for nerds thing, there's some stuff out there, but there's not enough. People feel like intellectually deprived by the entertainment environment, or at least I do, and I assume other people do as well. So yeah, you preach to the crier first, but if everybody's loving something and you feel like you disagree with it, but everybody's loving it, that in itself will sow the seeds of curiosity about like, is this merely like just some kind of equivalent of a revival where everybody shouts their common beliefs or... But in the science raps, I'm trying to talk about what you just said, the why. Why do we think this? Well, we try, you know, the hypothesis that it's another way would lead to this and the hypothesis that another way would lead to that. So we believe it because the evidence shows this and that I think it does get through. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. I think the world needs more of that, especially right now. Let me show you how to be a good baby. Hey, folks, as I told you at the beginning, this episode is brought to you by Tidelift and I'm really proud of it. In a nutshell, Tidelift helps organizations effectively manage the open source behind modern applications, including the tools to create customizable catalogs of non-good, proactively maintained open source packages backed by Tidelift and its open source maintainer partners. For instance, PyMC3, that I'm sure you all love, is part of the Tidelift subscription. So if you are using PyMC3 in your organization, you can seamlessly and efficiently integrate it into your organization's software policies and workflows. So it's nice, right? So go ahead and check out tightlift.com to learn more. This is actually something that will be very curious to me. I don't really know how science and the scientific method will come out of this COVID crisis, whatever you want to call it. This is because at the same time, we are exposed to much more science in the news, at least in, in France, I don't know, for the US. So that's good because people get exposed to a scientific method and how research goes and what's the difference with science. But at the same time, you also hear a ton of just bullshit that's taken by some politicians or other people who just want to say that what they already believe is just so true. And I don't know if the scientific method will come out of that better understood or just if people will say, ah, actually science is like politics or any other opinion. You can just think whatever you want because ah, look at these, all these experts, they just don't know what to do and how to solve that. The problem is, is when science does a good job, then you could act like 
it would have happened anyway, right? Like all the sort of pandemic deniers will wait until the vaccines have proliferated and then everyone goes out again and then they'll say, see, it was all fine the whole time. We never needed to worry. Yeah, and it's also like you forget, like it becomes like breathing, having vaccines since you're a child, not having, not needing to have 10 children when you're a parent because half of them will die before they reach 10. Like this doesn't happen anymore in, at least in, in Europe and in the US, but we forget about that and all the awful diseases that the vaccines we have right now prevent from happening. And as you said, we don't see that and we forgot about that. And so it's really the kind of thing I just, when I take the plane, each time I take the plane, I'm just amazed. I remind myself of how unbelievable it is that this thing that is so heavy is going up in the sky. And this is something that human beings have been wanting to do for centuries. And now we're able to do that. And we did that thanks to the scientific method. And each time a plane has a... It takes effort though, doesn't it? Sorry. That kind of thinking is effortful thinking. Yeah. It's much more natural to just adjust, to always sort of follow the shifting baseline. And you have to remind yourself how much things have changed. It's, I mean, that's just part of our psychology, obviously. Yeah. But you're right. It is, it is. And after COVID, it's going to be even more remarkable. Yeah. I haven't been in a plane in a year. It's going to seem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not only in the context of the last several millennia, but just thank goodness I can travel again. Oh yeah, man. I mean, this is going to be a relief. <laughs> and actually, let me ask you now, just checking. Okay. Yeah. The time. Don't want to take too much time from you, but this is such a nice conversation. I could go on four hours. I wanted to ask you something a bit more into your like your process and how you came to that. Like for instance, which authors or songs were particularly influential to you? Rap wise, I'd say uh, the first album from Nas, Illmatic, and the first album from the Notorious B.I.G., Ready to Die, and the first album from Eminem, the Slim Shady LP. Those were all ones where, I mean, I come to rap as a writer, so I really gravitate towards the storytelling rappers, the ones that sort of paint a picture of what their life is like in song. And that's what I'm trying to do as much as I can as well. And authors, Sean Carroll is a great science communicator. Richard Dawkins has really brought me into the evolution. Someone said um, philosophy of science. I'm a big fan of Dan Dennett. I've read every one of Dan Dennett's books and try to bring his thinking process in. Steven Pinker on sort of psychology and human history, the long arc of human history. And David Sloan Wilson really brought me into some new thinking about evolution and how it works in terms of cooperation as well as competition. Yeah, those are a few. I'm mostly a nonfiction reader. Yeah. Except for Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm the same. So I love that. I mean, uh, we really have to get in all these recommendations into the show notes for people. That sounds really amazing. And actually, I'm wondering about your a comment I'm getting more topics for your rap freestyle. I can tell you that there are some fun stuff in there. Yeah, just uh, coming back to your writing process, I'm curious about that. You know, how do you choose topic and how do you write about them? And like, are you more of a, a more into the profusion of inspiration or do you have a process that you, you get through for each song or you just go with the flow? How do you go? You know, usually it's process-based for me and project-based. So I'm like, I don't usually even work on a project unless I know what it's for and where it's going. Like the premiere will be here or I've got to deliver the track by this time. Um, I have a really hard time just like 
writing about whatever I feel like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, why, what's the point? What's this for? Yeah. So each song is part of an album. It's like, what do you need to include to tell the story of this topic? Or if it's a song, then it's more condensed. But yeah, that's my process is like, frankly, it's pretty much exactly the same as what I did in grad school as an English literature master's student. Like read all the literature on the topic, synthesize a thesis from where you see like common threads between those various secondary sources and make an argument in essay form. Only now my essays are songs and albums, but it's kind of like proliferate and distill the information through the funnel of the way I think and what I want to say about it. That's the process for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're like really an, more into an intellectual process of doing things that resonates with me. I think if I were a rapper, I would do the same thing. Well, and just to add to that, Like, I don't want to come across like an automaton, you know, it's not like I have no feelings. It's just that I'm always expressing my feelings in the context of some kind of frame or pragmatism or task. So, you know, once it's my job to write about a thing, then I'll tell you everything I think and feel about that thing. Yeah. But I just, I have a kind of like, what's the point response to just like, how do you feel in general kind of questions? Yeah, yeah. Can I understand that? Maybe quick question before we talk of another project of yours and then we'll go into some rap but a quick question maybe what was the most difficult song for you to write and which song are you the most proud of okay so um i got two set different answers the most difficult song for me to write is one no one's heard yet And I have a new album. I will officially announce it on the Learning Bayesian Stats podcast. It's called Bright Future, and it's coming out this spring, probably in about six weeks. Oh, nice. And one of the songs on the new record is called Cloud Feedback. And it's about the feedback effects that clouds and entrainment and convection have on climate sensitivity estimation. So we know clouds cool the planet down. But we know the warming effects of global warming are changing the relationship and the height and the thickness and all the dynamics of the clouds globally. And how does a model accommodate for the feedback mechanisms between clouds and precipitation and evaporation and heat loss? And it's, I mean, the, the complexities of it. I wrote so many drafts of this song and sent them to the scientists and had the scientists be like, well, it doesn't exactly work like that. And then I'd have to come back and rewrite it again and again. And I got it. I finally like draft seven of the lyrics. He was like, yep, that pretty much summarizes the state of it. You know, and that's the reason the IPCC estimates the warming of a doubling of CO2 at somewhere between 1.5 and 4.5 degrees, hmm. which is a huge range, you know, like, yeah. Talk about scientific uncertainty. Where are we going to land? You know, somewhere on that continent. So I wanted to try to explain that factor in the scientific predictions. And it's all about, and mostly it's about clouds. So I can't wait to see what people think of my cloud feedback song because I worked extremely hard on it. And the one I'm most proud of, I think, is the song I mentioned previous, Performance Feedback Revision. Yeah. Because it was such a simple like basic concept and it's such a sort of didactic title for it's like not a catchy title <laughs> performance feedback revision but it's definitely had the most unexpected resonance with people like i have two different people that emailed me a photo of a tattoo that has performance feedback revision in it, like <laughs> coincidentally and separately one person told me that they had problems with alcoholism and they used 
performance feedback revision as a daily mantra to get through that and improve their life and save their marriage and everything. So it's just like, it just keeps coming back. Oh yeah. There's like CEOs of tech companies that force their employees to listen to performance feedback revision as the design and iteration principle for the way they're changing their code, like compile, test it on users and then go back and change it. And so it's just one of those things where it's like, I remember exactly where I was when I thought of the idea for a song and I put it together and I performed it. And then it's just totally taken on a life of its own. That's really fun to watch. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm sure everybody can't wait to listen to your album. So really looking forward to that. When is it coming out? I'm going to say May 15th. Okay. And hopefully I don't get proven wrong, but I have a whole process in place. And actually, I'm going to be launching a Kickstarter soon where people can pre-order it. And I recommend if the Kickstarter is not over by the time this comes out, I encourage you all to go there and support. If you like science rap and you want to see more of it in the world, you can get a copy. There will be vinyl and can be among the first to hear the record. Awesome. Yeah, I will definitely put the link to that Kickstarter in the show notes. That sounds like a good use of our money. <laughs> and yeah, actually, I want to talk now about one of your recent projects. So there is this new album, but you also recently created a company, if I understood correctly, called Event Rap. And I really love what you folks do. Uh, so can you tell us more about that? Sure. Event Rap is a kind of pandemic pivot project because I did like 130 live shows for audiences in 2019 alone. And then one year ago, every show gets canceled and I'm sitting at home like, what am I supposed to do now? I'm working on some music videos. I get commissioned to write on some science topics. But what I started doing is performing zoom gigs and i would join a meeting and i would listen to what everyone said in the meeting and i would write a song really fast like in two hours to summarize everyone's comments in the meeting and, and reference all the speakers and then i would be the sort of surprise grand finale of the event and i was doing some of them were boring business meetings or professional conferences for scientists or i even did a funeral recently and i did like a birthday party and it's just a weird unexpected thing that came out of the pandemic that i've just come to love. I love doing it. It's such a fun challenge to create a rap in two hours that speaks on the collective experience of a group of people that are all around the world sharing a virtual experience. So you can see a bunch of videos on eventwrap.com and I'm sort of rolling it out as a service that can be applied to any virtual meeting with a group of people sharing some kind of experience. And I also have been recruiting rappers. So I now have a dozen artists oh, nice. that are either are signed or are in the process of signing to event rap and they're all going to be offering this service as well it's another like when i talked about good bayesian i was like i shared it with these rappers i was like you want to rap about bayesian and they were both like yes and then it was the same with this i was like do you want to rap for some zoom meetings about whatever the topic is as a sort of random paid gig and every rapper has been like such a cool idea let's go for it so i hope it becomes really big because my motto is every event needs rap and we've all got zoom fatigue and imagine every zoom meeting with a five minute rap summary at the end that makes everyone leave with a smile on their face that's what we're trying to do as a talent agency yeah yeah i love that and i watched one of your videos at the end uh, i think it was for Harvard Business School uh, meeting at the end you're summarizing the meeting. It's, it's really funny. I encourage people to go and check it out. The best part about those videos is the way people react because they don't expect it. They're like in a serious meeting. Yeah. And the host goes, we have a special guest. And yeah. I'm like, what's up, everybody? And I throw the beat on and everyone's like, whoa. And then they start going, oh, oh, oh. 
<laughs> you know, just you see all the facial reactions. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I, I'm wondering then, because you emphasized the importance of the audience and the feedbacks from the audience at the beginning of the show, but how does it change your experience as an artist to perform like that remotely? You do that by necessity, of course, you can't perform right now in front of an audience, but still, how does it change the experience for you? I almost forget what it's like to perform live at this point because I've done so many shows virtually. But what I will say about it is it's unexpectedly awesome. I really like I actually did a radio interview. I tweeted right at the beginning of the pandemic. All my gigs are canceled. I guess I'm staying home or something like that. And then right away, CBC Radio, the Canadian broadcaster, reached out to me. and They're like, oh, we're doing a story on artists during the pandemic. Would you like to talk to us? So I did a whole radio interview. And in the interview, I was like, Virtual gigs are a non-starter. <laughs> I'm never going to be performing virtually because you got to feel the crowd and hear the crowd. So I'm going to just wait this out. I'll like work on some albums, projects and videos as best I can. And, you know, see you on the other side. Basically, like stuck my foot in my mouth huge because I was so wrong. And the thing I've unexpectedly come to love about virtual performing is the immediacy and the intimacy of the camera right in everybody's face. So when I used to perform live, I would be like interacting with the front couple rows in a theater or in a music venue and back beyond that, mostly dark. So you're trying to find a few people that are having a good time. But when you're doing a Zoom gig, you can see like 16 or 25 faces and you got their immediate details of their emotional reactions to every single thing that you say. And Imagine doing a live gig where you had a camera in everyone's face and that you had like a pair of Google Glass type virtual glasses so that you could have a zoomed in image of everyone in the audience and not treat some of them as far away and some as close. That's what a Zoom gig is like. So I really love the Zoom gallery audience experience at this point. And it's going to be interesting when I go back to live, whether I'm sort of like, Maybe it's like heroin to methadone, you know, maybe the live gigs won't cut it anymore. And I'll be like, let's all go virtual again. I don't know. It might be a little ways off, but it's been interesting. I've definitely had an education in what matters over the past year. Yeah, that's, I mean, you updated your priors pretty aggressively right here. <laughs> well, that's good. I, yeah, I must have. If I'm, if I'm starting a business and like putting all this investment and time and energy into this is going to be a thing going forward for a long time. Even if the pandemic ends with full vaccination and everything goes back to normal, I think we've all learned that we were wasting a lot of time and money traveling to meetings. Like the world is not going to go back fully to the way it was a year ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so before we go into some rap songs live here, there are different kind of raps, right, that you can perform on these kind of events. So for someone like me who don't know about that at all, Can you summarize some of them so that we have an idea of how you can improvise on the spot like that? I find that really fascinating. Sure. So everything in the event rap catalog of services is based on something rappers already do to a certain degree. So the main service is a wrap up where you write a song in a couple of hours and it summarizes the event. So you're sort of listening and writing at the same time and getting ready to perform at the end. One thing I can't do is I can't do a wrap up of an event that I was speaking at. 
I have to be sort of like anonymously in the background listening to everybody, but obviously I haven't been sitting here writing the whole time, so I couldn't do a written summary of what we just talked about. But if I had been listening to someone else that was your guest, I could do a wrap-up summary of any episode of the Learn Bayesian Stats um, podcast where I give you back all the things you talked about in rhyme form. So that's a wrap-up. There's one called a custom wrap, which is where you commission me. Like I had made the good Bayesian song before you launched the podcast, but if I hadn't, and if you had reached out and said, I'm doing a Bayesian podcast and I need a Bayesian song, I could have said, no worries, I'll write one for you. And I could have written good Bayesian and it would have been a perfect fit. Just happened to go the other way around. There's something called a freestyle set, which is where the audience gives me topics to rap about. And that's what we're going to do at the end of this episode. So I'll get you because I think I see you can like pull things from the chat and throw them up on the screen, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just let you feed me, like give me another phrase or word every five to 10 seconds. And I will just riff on everything I see in real time, improvised. And yeah, that, those are the main services. I've also got something up there called a catalog set, which is a little tongue in cheek because that's every rap show that's ever been done. That's not event rap. A rapper writes a song and performs their song. They're doing a catalog set. It's like from your back catalog. And then also I've been hosting events sometimes where I'll like interview scientists or guests and then also do raps about them and stuff. So that's the other service. But the main, the top three are the main ones. Awesome. Yeah, really sounds like fun. Before going into that, I'll ask you the two questions I ask every guest at the end of the show, but of course, it's not going to be the end of the show, (laughs) but I have to ask you those because I love them and I love to have the distribution of answers. So the first one is if you had unlimited time and resources, which problem would you try to solve? I might say cancer, actually. I feel like of all of the medical problems, cancer is the one that sort of stands out as so pernicious. It's so scary for people. There's like no enemy to hate. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like lots of infections, COVID, like we must defeat COVID, but cancer is like your own cells changing and all through the natural world, like other organisms die of cancer. And I just feel like it would be one thing that would take a huge burden of suffering off the world if we could figure that one out. So maybe I'm thinking small, maybe it should be like avoidance of civilizational collapse, but maybe I'm just optimistic that we'll take care of that one anyway. So I would do cancer. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Definitely something that uh, useful. And I think you're the first one to answer that on, on the show. So interesting, actually. And the second question is, if you could have dinner with any great scientific mind, dead, alive, or fictional, who would it be? I might have to say Charles Darwin. Just, he's the polymath. It sounds too obvious. I was I was almost tempted to say Wallace because what's interesting about Alfred Russell Wallace is he co-discovered natural selection and then he kind of like became more and more spiritualist as he went older. And by the end, he was arguing that natural selection explains the origins of our bodies, but not our minds. And he believed in a kind of like divine ensoulment that was necessary to explain human artistic creativity and genius and inspiration and kindness and sense of the numinous and stuff like that. And I wouldn't mind like having a chance to interview Wallace about that and ask him, where do you think your theory falls short of explaining all of human proclivities insofar as they don't have like animal and analogs, but I might get frustrated by that conversation, whereas I bet I could talk to Darwin all day. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I can guess it. A nice answer. And again, I think you're the first one to answer that. So two first samples from these two questions. That's awesome. Okay, now I think it's time to listen to some... Switch into performance mode? I've been so relaxed here. Yeah. Now I got to get animated. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
I don't know if I ask you that, but you remember how you first got introduced to Bayesian statistics? I'm guessing it's for it's to write good Bayesian, but yeah, I was researching the Rap Guide to Consciousness album. I had already committed to the project. I had my release date in advance, and I was sort of I spent the six or seven months prior to the first performance reading everything I could on the neuroscience of consciousness and the best theories of how our subjective experiences are produced by interactions in the brain. And I kept coming across Bayes. And sometimes it would be in the context of the brain is an inference engine that builds models about likely causes of sensory inputs. And sometimes it would be in the context of why is science the right model to study the brain? And how do we understand human physiology in the first place? And the process of discovery that scientific inference gives us is has been described as a Bayesian process. So it was that like seemingly disparate, but still related to the same project at a certain, you know, I'll tell you just as a side story. Yeah. I resisted it for a long time. I was like reading all these books about consciousness. And I was like, Bayes, 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 Bayes. And then I spent a little while like trying to figure out how the Bayesian theorem worked. And I kept getting confused and I'd don't really have a good math background. And so I was like, not going to talk about Bayes on this album. And then I kind of reading more Bayes, Bayes, Bayes. God damn it. All right. I'm going to talk about Bayes. And then I, you know, had to really crash course how to present the, because in the show, I actually put the theorem up on the screen. Yeah. And then I like replaced the priors and the, um, and the outcomes with different sort of pop culture examples to show how it works and walk people through the concept so that I can apply it in the rest of the show. And I'm glad I went over that hurdle because uh, the response has been great to it, but it wasn't it wasn't intuitive at first. Now it is, but it wasn't at first. Yeah, I see what you mean. This is funny. Okay, I have a little surprise for you just before we go to the song. I have some other people here who joined me so that you have a little more faces ah. to rap. <laughs> Hello. So I'm happy to introduce you to Michel Ostegue, a fellow PyMC car developer and fellow Bayesian, of course, and Tyler Birch. Very happy to have you on the show. Tyler is a patron of the show and he helped me test out the, the setup. Oh, I also have someone else again i think we have brendan brendan we don't have your camera but if you can that'd be awesome that's great glad that we have quite a nice setup here so when you want baba you can start wrapping some good bayesian stuff all right here we go i got my beat set up here just make sure it's in the right place boom all right. Is that coming through all right? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Hmm. Turn myself up a bit here. Yeah. Let me show you how to be a good Bayesian Change your predictions after taking information in And if you're thinking I'll be less than amazing Let's adjust those expectations So what's a Bayesian? A Bayesian cares about evidence And doesn't jump to assumptions based on intuitions and prejudice A Bayesian makes predictions on the best available info And adjusts the probability Cause every belief is provisional Cause when I kick a flow, mostly I'm watching eyes widen Maybe cause my likeness 
lowers expectations of tight rhyming How would I know unless I'm rhyming in front of a bunch of blind men Dropping placebo controlled science like Richard Feynman Is it because of my looks or the fact that I talk like I'm mad for books Either way in the ecosystem of rap I'm the platypus So my patron saying on stage is Reverend Bayes Just watch me update the predictions in everyone's brains I'm teaching a crowd about probabilistical statistical science For instance if the ex-president's a degenerate liar Remember your priors, right? Just keep them updated Cause one of these days Assumptions we're gonna make Especially when the ex-president is talking about Non-citizens, Muslims, and other victims of dog-whistling Bigoted, unconscious bias Yeah, unreliable information The antidote is to learn how to think like a Bayesian So let me show you how to be a good Bayesian Change your predictions after taking information And if you're thinking I'll be less than amazing Let's adjust those expectations So let me show you how to be a good Bayesian Change expectations after taking fresh data in And if you're thinking I'll be less than amazing Let's adjust those expectations Nice Alright <laughs> Awesome, that's uh, that's so nice <laughs> Yeah, and like I have I have Colin Carroll there on the on the chat uh, who noticed that you updated you updated the <laughs> the lyrics. This is uh, this is great. Thanks a lot. Well, you gotta you change your lyricism after taking fresh data in when the president's changed. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So to the last beat, we're gonna do um, a freestyle, right? So what's the so the process? I am gonna throw you some topics on the screen. You're going to improvise on that, right? Uh, riff on that. And yeah, I don't know, for how much time uh, as you want. <laughs> I'm guessing it's not going to be for uh, one hour in any case. So <laughs> yeah, a few minutes. Uh, I'll uh, yeah, I'll follow the flow of the words that you send and uh, I'll just rock it over the same exact beat again and try to keep up with the technical sophistication of some of the comments I see coming in. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Okay. Well, let's go then. I think the first one I had, yeah, was from Chunpeng Lao, who asked you if you could write about Python, about Nuts, <laughs> PyMC, and so on. <laughs> so. All right. I'll do my best here. Let's go. Yo. People sometimes ask, what planet am I on? I'm on the planet where everybody's using Python. That's how we do it. I'm one of these MCs that could even drop rhymes about that PMC, that PyMC3. I just freak it easily. I'm telling people right now, um, no one's as deep as me when it comes to the scientific stuff. No ifs, ands, or buts. This is how it goes right now. I'm freestyling. I'm going nuts. Yeah, this is the ergodicity when I'm explicitly rocking stuff right now. This is hip pop authenticity that's the way that i rock it yeah i'm just working these beats with my brain circuitry i'm trying to make decisions under uncertainty like what's gonna happen in the next second under covid uh, i think i'm with everybody when i say i don't know it but i know that science will probably help us with this scene because we've got a people researching right now catching those vaccines this is the way that i do this right now i'm mad serious i'm saying i am a big fan of wide posteriors can't you even reason that i'm one of those 
those type of guys I like wide posteriors and I cannot lie All you other brothers can't deny Big butts, yeah, that's the way that I rock it I'm taking it right now, I'm throwing it straight up out my pocket Like what's the topic, I'm sorry But I'm just saying stuff like a bad relationship I guess we're now breaking up I mean the signal is starting to get a little bit fried But that's okay cause I'm still coming with rhymes Yeah, I just bust them sometimes as I freestyle infinitely I just rip these raps so everybody download this podcast and learn Bayesian stats yeah that's how it goes this is how I go I'm a rap fiend I say everybody out there when they get a chance take your vaccine yeah that's what I'm saying right now in this rap know what I mean I'm probably super hyper because I'm jacked up on caffeine that's what's inside of this right now yeah this beautiful coffee cup that's covered with these hearts I hope you're feeling all this love this is the way that I rock it right now yeah I pop up people listen they're like oh my god I want more rap this is not enough this is how I go right this is how I go right this is how I freestyle which means these are rhymes that I don't write they just come off the top of my head as I improvise I could rap about R and BRMs when I kick the rhymes definitely yeah these are freestyles I'm sparking but I'm sorry I do not know all your hacker jargon so I don't even know what those even stand for but that's okay because I could um pull out a sword like I was King Arthur that's right I will take on every challenger that was a nice sword i think it was called excalibur yeah this is the way that i go when i'm just maybe trying to say so i'm sorry for king arthur that your wife was unfaithful that was true of guinevere this is how i said it here people listen to my raps they're like it's both explicit and weird but how i do it is my brain always works it never fails and plus i was originally trained on those canterbury tales is how it goes yeah that's right um in my brain i store stuff and then i bayesian take it out like alex and dora when he's hosting the podcast all about the Bayesian stats I'm Baba Brinkman and I'm known to go kind of crazy with raps And I'm freestyling, I'm on this spot right now in Long Island But hopefully um, in the future people won't have to dial in They'll just be able to do it live and come to my shows And realize that it's gonna have to be infinite scientific rhyming Yeah, these are rhymes, these are rhymes that I have to bust If you get mm, frustrated, maybe your chains are stuck I don't know, I'm just gonna have to make this a lyrical emergence Out of my brain, out of my brain circuits we gotta fix those divergences when it's not right this is me i'm straight up freestyling if there's a problem with your code then you probably want to compile it and then see whether it works and test it and retest it performance feedback revision right that's how it works there's no question the prior specifications i'm so much dedicated to hip-hop it's like when i flow i feel like i'm medicated i'm meditated or medicated or one or the other but it's elevated to another level this is how i go i break it down to the basics yeah this is barbara brinkman with freestyle raps it's been kind of nice to interact with this here little chat so i'm gonna have to rip it science and hip-hop and all that big up to all the listeners of alex's podcast well done well done thank you very much baba that was so amazing it's bad that we can't like you know really cheer and so on but my god this was the roar of the crowd it's uh, i'm inferring it i don't need to hear it because i infer it yeah exactly you can see our faces and i can tell you there are a lot of comments here where people just loved what just happened so thank you so much i can just show you on the screen some of the comments but we also had and we (laughs) this one was quite good i just saw it but zoom meetings all day that would have been awesome (laughs) 
It's the redemption of the Zoom meeting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All you need is rap. Yeah, I had a lot of, of them still. Heteroskid STCT, that would have been quite hard. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But you throw me that one. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. I smash it. I'm really deep when I'm rapping. I'm skillfully bringing all you that heterospecificity. Oh, I, I, I couldn't read it because it's, it's not on the screen. But. <laughs> no, this is awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Baba. This was so great uh, having you on. I'm really glad to have done that. I wish you all the luck with Eventrap and all your projects. And I want to thank you all for... Well, thank you, sorry, for all your work explaining and popularizing the scientific method that was much needed with the COVID epidemic, as we saw. I also want to thank the audience for tuning in. That was so nice. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You participated in the comments and so on. So I'm super glad about that. I mean, the freestyle, there was too many comments. I couldn't keep up with them. So uh, if you like this live stream format, well, guess what? I might just do it again. So give me your feedback. Of course, share the episode with your friends and colleagues when it comes out. As usual, I'll put resources in the show notes and link to your website for those who want to dig deeper, Baba. We are both going to hang around a bit just after we stop live streaming. But for all the other people, Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you again, Baba, for taking the time and being on this show. I really enjoyed it. And Alex, thank you for having the vision to make my rap song your podcast theme song. I hope it's the first of many, but it was the first. So you get credit for being an early adopter. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for doing that. People are thanking you as you can see. So thank you very much. Bye people on the live stream. And yeah, I hope we'll be able to do that soon. Bye, guys. This episode of the Learning Bayesian Statistics podcast was brought to you by Tightlift. Tightlift helps organizations effectively manage the open source behind modern applications, accelerate development, cut costs, and reduce risk with the Tightlift subscription so you can create even more incredible software even faster. Learn more at tightlift.com. This has been another episode of Learning Bayesian Statistics. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher or on Podchaser, and visit learnbasedstats.com for more resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes that will help you reach true Bayesian state of mind. That's learnbasedstats.com. Our theme music is Good Bayesian by Baba Brinkman, with MC Lars and Megaran. Check out his awesome work at bababrinkman.com. I'm your host, Alex Andorra. You can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Andorra, like the country. You can support the show and unlock exclusive benefits by visiting patreon.com slash stats. Thanks so much for listening and for your support. You're truly a... Good Bayesian, change your predictions after taking information in. And if you're thinking I'll be less than amazing, let's adjust those expectations. Let me show you how to be a good Bayesian. Change calculations after taking fresh data in. Those predictions that your brain is making. Let's get them on a solid foundation.